Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where each and every week, the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader and investor. For more information, products, services, head over to wealthwithin.com.au. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Doug and I'm the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within and welcome back to my series on borrowing money, what you need to know. And in episode one, we chatted about lifestyle, positive and negative debt and why it's really important to learn how to understand exactly what debt is and how it can use it to your favor. Now, before we get into chatting about the banks, let's talk a little bit about why we need to use positive debt to create wealth for ourselves. Now, right now in Australia, the majority of people that are retiring are doing so with not enough superannuation to fund a good lifestyle in their retirement. If you if you look at ASIC's, um, uh, I suppose, explanation on what a good retirement is or uh, an acceptable uh, retirement, if you look at the types of income that they're saying, it, to me it's a bit more of an existence and for most people it is normally when I talk to people um, I say, well, what sort of income do you want to retire on? And most people are saying sort of eighty to $120,000 that they want to retire on, or eighty dollars to $120,000 a year retiring on. But uh, the, in- the interesting thing, thing is that most people are not retiring on enough in, in terms of their to, to fund that type of lifestyle. And the interesting thing is 75% of all Australians are now relying on some form of government pension. And around about... Half of those are relying on a full government pension. So this basically spells out that pretty simply that on mass Australians are not investing enough for themselves and not investing in assets that have good capital gain and income. And the sad reality means that for the younger generations, they're going to get taxed more to fund the retirement of older Australians who have not accumulated enough. Now, now it doesn't need to be like that because adding a little bit of positive borrowing or leverage to your investing can dramatically assist you to build wealth. And it's very possible to do that and really do it safely if you understand how. Now, adding positive debt can accelerate your wealth creation if done correctly. But the disclaimer here is it cannot, if you do the opposite, if you do it poorly, then it can cost you. And we saw that um, just around the GFC is that uh, there were record levels of margin lending uh, prior to the GFC crash of people putting using margin loans to over borrow and when the when the market came down um, they end up uh, in a big spot of bother and, and getting margin calls and losing lots of money um, but the thing is it really is about looking after yourself I mean the retirement of Australians you know the government is only a safety net the the, the pension system is a safety net not a default. Um, that means you can't or means you're not saving for your retirement or putting money outside of pensions or you know, looking at what the government's going to give you. It, it's about looking after yourself, and that's what we're talking a bit about here is using debt to actually fund your own lifestyle. Because, I mean, surely it's better rocking up to wherever you're going or going from point A to point B in a nicer car rather than one that you're worried about the brakes and other things or being able to have a holiday where you'd like to holiday every year or looking after your children the way that you'd like to look after. And there's many reasons why people need to accumulate more wealth. And and it could be just donating more to charity or helping 
other people out and, and that's a nice goal to have but first you need to help yourself out so now let's get into the banks now the australian banks luckily uh, for australia we've you know, we have some of the best rated banks in the world uh, to support our economy now you don't you don't really need to look far to see that the troubled economies of europe and the us that were largely put into those positions by the banks in those economies and i was only saying the other day that even way back to people like Abraham Lincoln, you know, he was saying that if you let the banks rule the money flow, uh, then you're going to be in trouble. So, and a lot of the big banks in these countries failed during the GFC and they were propped up by their governments. Um, some of them went into administration and liquidation and whatever else, but they were really propped up by their governments and all they were significantly weakened. And as a result, borrowing conditions really became much tougher for businesses and consumers, which can and often does result in poor economies and underperforming banks. Now, it's a vicious cycle and sadly one that continually repeats and it will repeat again because uh, one thing I know about the human race is we generally don't learn from our past. Now, lucky it's a very long time between major meltdowns like the GFC and the prior one to the GFC uh, was the crash of 1929. So it's about 80 years apart they are, um, which was caused, which was also caused by overborrowing. In fact, all major crashes were um, caused by overborrowing and you know, lax lending practices. Um, here in Australia, we tend to bash the banks for making what we believe are obscene profits and to to really be perfectly honest i think this is really justified what we need to understand though is that banks are in business to make money just like any other company and our job as customers or consumers of the banks or all the consumers of bank products is to look for the best products and services that suit our needs and what we wish to pay for so how much we want to pay but the thing is with the banks they get a lot of money by default because People don't move their loans, their housing loans. They don't generally switch banking accounts, those sorts of things, because oh, it's all too much trouble. We've got to do ID and all the other bits and pieces and all the payments that are coming out of different places. So that's why I'm saying that the banks get a lot of money by default. It's just because it's hard to move banks. Uh, and I think that's a government issue that they need to make it really simple or legislate to the bank to say, you need to make it simple for people to move their housing loans and less costly, all those sorts of things. Now, we do need money, um, and we need banks to lend us the money so that we can fund our growth personally and as a nation. And as such, I, I really strongly believe individuals need to use our banks in order to borrow wisely to fund wealth-generating assets such as shares and investment properties. So what are the rules for borrowing money for your investments? Well, there are a few simple areas that everyone needs to consider to ascertain the feasibility of funding your investments. And we can break them generally down into about three areas. Uh, and those three areas are risk, capacity, and reward. Now, I'll go through those three things for you. Risk uh, is all the borrowing or all borrowing carries risk, all investing carries risk. And um, and in general, the higher the expected return of an investment, the higher the risk level. The same goes for lending. So when it comes to lending, the higher the risk the lender is taking, then the higher the interest rate they require to charge to mitigate their risk. And this is why credit cards tend to attract higher interest than housing loans. Remember, credit cards are an unsecured debt, meaning that unlike a housing loan, there is no asset guaranteeing the debt will be paid back. Uh, therefore, 
unsecured debt will always attract a higher interest rates. Uh, you may have borrowed money to buy a car and sometimes finance companies will take a guarantee over the car. They'll, they'll say they own the car until you fully pay it off basically, um, which means you get a lower interest rate on that. But if you default, they'll take the car, sell it and if there's any profit left, um, which generally with a car there won't be because they depreciate so fast, um, they'll get their money and you'll be without a car and still owing probably money. Uh, but if you don't use it as security, the interest rate will be higher. Now, everyone measures their own personal risk differently. Uh, risk to you could be a personal risk, a family risk, an emotional risk, a monetary risk, or even a security risk, just to name a few. So when it comes to lending, you need to ensure that you fully understand the risk that you personally are taking and how to manage or mitigate that risk. It's not good enough when the proverbial hits the fan to say, I didn't read the fine print and then I know that my house is on the line or, um, you know, I signed as a guarantor for my uh, son or my daughter that I didn't know that then you can come at me for the money, uh, those sorts of things. You really do need to understand your own risk because um, you do... Anytime you sign a document that has loans to, to associated with it, you really do need to look at those fine print. Um, a good general rule of thumb is that with all borrowing, you need to have an exit strategy in case things go wrong. And, and here's the key or the real kicker uh, from that point of view. Failed to have an exit strategy has caused so many to go broke or bankrupt. And as I was mentioning before, this was never more evident than in the GFC where the majority of investors had assets falling in value that they had borrowings on only to be forced to sell in a fire sale and do so at the wrong time. Um, and it happened right across the board with shares, with margin lending and people going into managed funds with margin lending. The whole It was just a, so prevalent during that time and there's so many people I saw that lost you know, 40, 50, up to 90% of their money during that time because of this leveraging and failing to have an exit strategy. Um, and I had many people coming to me saying, well, I rang my broker and told him to get me out of shares. I rang my financial planner to tell me to get out of these investments, but they kept convincing me to stay. You need to know your exit strategy before you start. Now, did you know that historically, just prior to share market peaks, you see the greatest borrowing takes place in both uh, the numbers of new applications for borrowing and in total dollars borrowed. So it's a really good signpost for yourself when you're looking at borrowing. And the share market's been moving, so uh, you can have a look at that and say, well, look at statistics and say, well, margin lending's hitting record levels and borrowing's hitting record levels. That means the share market's peaking out soon. So you might miss, you know, six or 12 months of that last peak, but you'll definitely miss the crash side on the other side of it. Um, but also near the bottom of a market crash, we see the largest number of margin calls and forced closure on loans. So it's also a big signal to say, now's the time to start looking to get back into the market. So be contrary in your view. So the key learning here is to always have an exit strategy. And, and I'll also say that it does not matter if you're borrowing um, or not. This should be your rule. Um, even more so if you're borrowing to invest. So anytime you're doing investment, always have an exit strategy. That's what I'm trying to say. And if you're borrowing to invest, it's even more critical for you to do so. When deciding to borrow to invest in anything, whether it's an investment property, property development, or uh, a business, um, or shares, always investigate the different aspects of the loan that you're looking to go to or go into that may increase your risk. Now, these could include the loan term. So what is going on with the loan term? Is it going to be short term, under 12 months, over 12 months, five years, 
is there a balloon payments on the end? All sorts of things you need to look at. So as I said, look at the aspects. The loan term is number one. Number two, the security you're required to place to secure a loan. Now there are comments about when borrowing to buy investment properties and banks cross-collateralizing your family home with the investment property and everything else. You're always better off, in my view, to have your investment property securing itself and not having an extra security on your own home. Uh, the banks love to tie it all up because then they've got two properties securing one loan. Um, they love that, but it's always best to look at those sorts of things and have a really good mortgage broker help you with understanding your risk here and what you're required to do and get them to work for you and help you make sure that you're not putting too much at risk. Now, the next thing is debt to equity ratio or how much of the asset you own versus how much do you have to borrow to secure the asset. Now, in property, you know, we've, Normally, it's like, you know, you put up 20%, the bank own, own, uh, lends you the other 80%. But it became quite prevalent for people to borrow 90%, and for investment properties, 100% on investment. Now, to me, there's a real, real key here, a rule of thumb is always, always, always leave something on the table. If the bank says they're going to lend you $10, always take less than the $10, always take, like, 80% of that, you know, $8 or max $9. But if they're going to lend you $10, always take less because you need that safety valve in case something goes wrong. With margin lending, I always saying to people one-to-one, so if you've got a dollar, borrow a dollar. Don't borrow two if you've only got one dollar. Um, and to me, with investment properties or, or any property, don't go over 80%. Yes, you can borrow more and it helps you um, with purchasing property. Many can buy a more expensive property, but always look at that risk side of things. Number four is market forces, such as the possibility of a property or share market fall during the terms of the loan that you have. So what you don't want to be is put into a position where you're forced to sell a good asset at the wrong time. And that's why that one's there. Um, number five, income that is required of you to fund the loan repayments and the stability of your income. And again, this is where a lot of people, if interest rates start to move up um, in, in, in the Australian economy and we start seeing moves of you know, 1% or more, 2 to 2%, I think there's going to be a lot of people in struggling because of their income is not able to support loans. You should always look at when you're getting a loan that, um, let's the interest rate I've got now always add two percent onto that whatever that interest rate is and say can I afford that loan if the interest rate was two percent high and how would that affect our family lifestyle etc etc so always look at those sorts of things so what's your ability to pay the loan and also the stability of your job so um, thanks for listening to this part two of the series here um, for more information about wealth within our products and services you know, please get into onto our website, wealthwithin.com.au. We're always here to help. The team are here, all traders and investors themselves. Um, we're always happy to answer questions and help out people. So you've been listening to Talking Wealth, and I'm Dale Gillan, here, the Chief Analyst at Wealth Within. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, products and services, and detailed show notes with a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au dot au and click on the news and media tab in the navigation.